Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians and chapter number 9. The book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 9. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth has had lots of problems and lots of issues. And the Apostle Paul, having the role and the responsibility of an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, has now written to try to correct and try to help this church. He has no desire to be mean to the church. He has no desire to hurt the church. He wants to help them and he's trying to correct and set things in order. The hardest thing for any pastor to do is to make sure things are set in order because things are always out of order. And with the church of Corinth, it is harder because of the their pride. Over and over, you'll see the phrase in the book of 1 Corinthians that they are puffed up. They're puffed up. That they think they have knowledge. They think they're more spiritual than what they are. And the apostle Paul has had to deal with different subjects. For example, of sexual relations within the church that's not being dealt with. That people are suing each other and taking them to court. That there are all kinds of things that are wrong. And as he has responded to some of the letters of Uh, responses to the church of Corinth that they had some very foolish questions they asked the apostle Paul not dealing with any of the problems but trying to brag about how spiritual they are by the questions they pose. But when it's all said and done the thing that's wrong with the church of Corinth because of their pride is that they're rejecting the authority of the apostle Paul. You see, there's an old adage found within the Bible of principle that if you don't like the message, you get rid of the messenger. And because they have not liked the message of the apostle Paul, what they are doing is they're trying to discount his apostleship and figuring that if they could discount Paul, then they don't have to obey his word. This becomes the heart of the matter in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 9. Notice if you don't mind the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 and notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are ye not my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you for the seal of my apostleship, ye are in the Lord. My answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles and the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? Or who goeth a warfare of any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? 
For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we shall sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing that we should reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are we not rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ." Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they that wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be done unto me. For it would be better for me to die than any man should make my glory void. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 9? The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and notice with me verse number 14, should live of the gospel. Notice that phrase, 1 Corinthians 9, 14, should live of the gospel. And with the Lord's help, we want to see this principle here, but perhaps you'd like to subtitle this if we could summarize what is going to be the heart of what he's going to be say. Maybe you could write a subtitle, the preachers pay. The preachers pay. And if you don't mind, we want to dive into this subject and get a good understanding here that should live of the gospel. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would give us grace that you would give us mercy and that you would give us great understanding. That as the Apostle Paul is saying here, that I'm not doing this for my own glory, my own honor. This is actually what is next up as we're trying to teach the Bible faithfully, page by page, verse by verse, and that this is next up. We're asking that you would give us great wisdom and great discernment to be able to see what it says and we'll be able to see what is our part, what is our responsibility, what is it that the Lord would have us to do concerning this. Thank you again for you being a wonderful God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As the Apostle Paul is now approaching the church of Corinth, the church of Corinth is very much trying to be antagonistic towards the Apostle Paul. They are trying to disrupt his apostleship, his authority. And he is trying to correct and set things in order. Notice, if you don't mind, as we cover this, we want to see this idea, this principle should live of the gospel. The first thing I want to show you is that God calls a preacher to a church. God calls a preacher to the church. Notice in verse 3, it says, Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. This word examines an important word. It carries the idea, it's a courtroom phrase, and it carries the idea to bring someone in and cross-examine them. To cross-examine them. When you are inside of a court and you're cross-examining them, you're not trying to find good in them. 
What you're trying to do is examining them to find fault. And the Apostle Paul has been under attack by the people of Corinth. That they've been examining him. They've been going through his life and trying to find fault in his life. Why? Because if they could find something wrong with a messenger, they can discount the message. They don't want the Apostle Paul telling them what to do. They don't want the Apostle Paul to try to direct traffic to fix things. They want the Apostle Paul to stick his big nose out of it. Leave us alone. Let us do whatever we want. And so they've been examining him. Can you imagine these, this church getting together and they've been talking and gossiping bad about the Apostle Paul? Did you hear what Paul did here? And I can't believe that Paul did this. And I can't believe Paul did this. So the Apostle Paul finds himself that he has to defend himself. Now notice, he's not defending himself because of him personally. But he has to defend himself for the gospel's sake. For the message of the Bible. And that he finds that he has to defend himself so that way people would be willing to listen to his message. Now that's going to be very important because Paul is not doing this as a retaliation or to get back or as a defense of himself personally. But understanding that God is wanting to get something accomplished and we need to let God do his own work. And God has chosen a pastor of a local church as we're finding this principle here that God is the person who places people in charge. If you don't mind, let's go ahead and examine this. In verse number one, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are ye not my work in the Lord? Now eventually every preacher will be examined by the backsliders and the spiritual elite. Every preacher is going to get criticized. Well, every preacher needs to be able to biblically defend, to be able to say, how do I handle this? I know it may be a surprise to you, but every once in a while someone goes home and has roast preacher. You could smile, it's all right. That they go home and they say, I can't believe preacher did this. And I can't believe he wore this. And I can't believe he did this. I can't believe he thinks like this. Every once in a while people have it. It is going to be something that happens. Every preacher is going to get criticized. But we need to have a biblical defense. And part of it is to understand that God called the preacher into that position. Any person who wants to be a pastor and is not God called is out of their mind. Why? Because you've got to deal with crying babies. Someone said, what is pastoring? It can be simplified in this terms, pacifiers and diapers. Now someone's offended now. Well, what is it? Well, you, when you have a kid that's crying, you put a pacifier and say they're there and try to get them to stop crying. If a kid makes a mess, makes a diaper, someone's got to change the diaper. And a lot of time, the idea of pastoring is that you're trying to help children move forward and help them grow up and work with them. And sometimes it's a messy business. Sometimes you're, you're just trying to help them move forward. You say, well, I'm offended immediately. I know, but this is what the Bible says. If you don't believe me, look in first Corinthians chapter three, where it talks about the office of a bishop and that if he can't raise his own house, well, how can he also raise the household of God? He's actually comparing the the church as children and saying, if he can't raise his kids, if his kids drive him crazy because they're crying all the time, you're not going to survive being a pastor. If you can't survive the kids throwing a fit, you're not going to survive being a pastor. It's just the relation of it. All right. Now that everybody's thoroughly offended, let's continue to go on. <laughs> the, but that's the idea. You know, think about 
preacher always trying to help people out and trying to encourage them. And there are times that people hear what the preacher says and refuses to do it. And he's brokenhearted. Well, that's just part of it. Add to it that he also gets added to dealing with the people, the criticizing that comes up. I can't believe he did that. Now, I'm not trying to complain about being a preacher. What we're trying to do is say, this is reality. It's going to happen. Paul understood, well, they're examining me. They're cross-examining me. They're trying to find fault in me. It's going to happen. But we have to biblically defend. We can't yell at them. We can't choke them. We can't hold them underwater until bubbles stop. You can't do that, nor do we want to. Smile. But we understand that God has to put a pastor in that position. God has to do some work in their life to put them there. And it has to be obvious that God placed them. Well, Apostle Paul said, it's clear that God put me here. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? That idea of free is a very big deal, especially in the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, 75% of the people were slaves. So when Paul is saying, I'm free, he's saying, I'm not here because I have to be. I'm here because this is what I believe the Lord has me to do. No one twisted my arm and made me your pastor. No one twisted my arm and made me an apostle. Have I seen the Lord Jesus Christ our Lord? Now the apostle Paul is asking this. Realize that the apostle Paul has seen the Lord Jesus Christ a couple of times. What do you mean by that? Remember that the apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ were about the same age physically. And that the apostle Paul was a teenager inside of the temple when Jesus as a teenager would come to the temple. They had lots of interactions. I have a whole message on that about Paul's early life that's neither here nor there. The Lord Jesus Christ also appeared to the apostle Paul in the road to Damascus when the Lord Jesus Christ uh, said to the apostle Paul, why kickest thou against the pricks? And the Lord Jesus Christ saved the apostle Paul that day when the apostle Paul saw the Lord high, holy, and lifted up and realized who Jesus was. So the apostle Paul is saying, listen, God put me here. I've seen the Lord Jesus Christ. That's qualification of apostle. By the way, in case you're confused, I'm not an apostle. I've never seen Jesus. I don't follow the qualifications. I'm a pastor. That's a different thing. The apostle Paul is saying, I'm an apostle. I've seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, are ye not my work in the Lord? We'll get to that in a second. He says, if I be not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For ye are the seal of my apostleship. Ye are in the Lord. So here the apostle Paul is explaining to them that he says, I know some of you are saying he's not an apostle. And sure, you may try to say, well, Paul's not the apostle of Ephesus. He's not the Paul of the churches of Macedonia. He's not the apostle to this church, to this church, to this region. He says, but without a doubt, you know I was meant to come here. How do you know that? He says, because I led you to the Lord. Without me, this wouldn't, we wouldn't have a church here. Without me, many of you would not be saved and going to heaven. Without me being placed here by God, you would not have the life that you had now. You are saved and following after God and whatever sense you are because of me. He says, you are my seal of my apostleship. Are ye in the Lord? He says, you're proof that God sent me here. 
You are evidence that I was supposed to be your pastor to help start that church. He says, God called me in this position. It is God that placed me here. I'm not here of my own free will, I'm, or <laughs> meaning that no one forced me to be here. God's the one placed me here. I followed his leading. I got here. I was your pastor. I led many of you to the Lord. I discipled many of you. You cannot say I was not meant to be your pastor. That's pretty clear. We understand that when an apostle's being attacked or a preacher's being attacked, we first of all have to go back to the idea that God's the one who called them. God's the one who placed them there. With this, we could see that there's some more evidence here. Notice as he says in verse 3, my answer to them, to them that do examine me. The word answer is apologetic. We get our definition of apologetics or our, our discussion of apologetics. The idea of apologetics is to defend. So when we study uh, biblical apologetics, we're making a defense of the faith, a defense of the faith. He says here, I'm defending my apostleship that God is the one who put me here and God has a plan for me. There's a second thing here, the power that a pastor does have, a power that the pastor does have. So we start off that God put a pastor there. Now when a pastor is part of a church, what liberty, what power does he have? Notice if you don't mind in verse number four, have we not power to eat and drink. The word power here carries with it the idea of a right or a liberty. Notice in verse four, have we not the power, the right and liberty to eat and drink? Notice if you don't mind, he lists some powers that he has. First of all, the power to eat and drink. That means they have the right to expect churches to take care of them. Notice if you don't mind, God gives some examples here. So if a pastor is pastoring in a church and he's laboring, winning people to the Lord, he's spending his life to help that church, shouldn't he have every expectation that the church can help take care of his needs, his basic needs? Notice in verse 7, it gives three illustrations to back this up. It says, who goeth a warfare at any time at his own charges? So let's imagine that someone joins the military, all right? I solemnly swear. And the guy said, I'm so glad that you joined. We're going to war, but I need you to go raise money to go buy your own gun. Hey, we're going to war and we're going to ship you out, but you need to go buy your own uniform and your own protection. Is that how that works? Is that what the military? No. The military provides those things so the soldier can do his duty. Does that make sense? It goes and gives a second illustration, verse 7. Who goeth to a warfare at any time in his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? So you can imagine, let's use for an example, a great vineyard. So there's a great vineyard and a person's task is to pick all the grapes. However, the person who owns the vineyard says, listen, your job is to pick the grapes, but you can't eat of a single one. I don't care how hot it is or how how thirsty you are or how hungry you are, don't eat a single grape. Well, is that unreasonable if you're working and pick your job is to pick the grapes and you can't have a single one that you're touching all the time? That's unreasonable. He gives a third example. Who goeth a warfare at any time in his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? So it deals the idea of a shepherd. So let's take someone who's watching the sheep. Sometimes when people would be out in the field watching the sheep, they could be gone for days 
for weeks or even months. And let's just say the person who owns the, sh- the flock says, all right, you're the shepherd. You guard the sheep day and night. You keep track of them. However, you can't milk any of the goats. You can't have any of the cows. You can't drink any of the milk that, while you're out there. It's not yours. You can't have it. Isn't that unreasonable to ask for? And so now it goes back to the idea that a preacher who is investing his life in people, he's leading them to the Lord. He's discipling them. He's counseling. He's praying for them. He's laboring with people. Shouldn't there be an expectation that the church would take the responsibility to make sure that the pastor had enough money to eat and drink? Well, that's not unreasonable. So there's a power, there's a right, there's an expectation to eat and to drink. What else do they have the right, the expectation to do as a pastor? Verse number five, have we not power? Again, that word power is the right or liberty. Have we not the power to lead a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? He says, don't we have the right to raise our family as we see fit? It is not the church's responsibility to tell the pastor what to do with their family. Well, it's the pastor's responsibility. Give an example. There are some churches that would like to put overextended control to say, your kid must be homeschooled. Your, Your kids must go to a Christian school. Well, a church doesn't have a right to tell the pastor what to do with his family. The pastor should be able to run his own home, to be able to see what is right, to to raise his kids as he sees fit, to have the liberty to do so. I have the liberty to be able to guide my wife the way that I see fit. That's not the church's business. Does that make sense? Some churches will give that extended control. If you could forgive personal illustration, I remember we were at a church once where the first month we were there, all the ladies of the church put my wife aside and said, listen, you're pastor's wife and name only. You stay away from the church. Don't do it. Touch our bulletin boards. Don't mess with our Sunday school class. You just stay home and take care of your family. Don't do anything in the church. Oh, violation of something here. <laughs> but you know, a church doesn't have that authority. The pastor should have the freedom to guide the church as he sees fit. So if <clears throat> I've noticed as it goes on, if you don't mind, verse number six. Or I have... Or I only and Barnabas, have we not the power, the freedom, the right to forbear working? So they have the right to establish their own financial convictions, meaning that it should be fine if the pastor decides to work an outside job or not work the outside job. The, the church cannot dictate that. The pastor should be able to do what he believes is right in the responsibilities he has to take care of his family or to, to be able to work this or do this. That should be the freedom or right. Now, people will go back and say, well, Paul had a tent-making ministry. Yes, he did at the very beginning of his ministry when he got started. But what happened is that he was able to get enough support and the churches were able to take care of him, that he had the freedom not to work so he could work full-time 
in the ministry. Now that just makes logical sense. If, and there's many preachers who are bivocational, meaning that they pastor and work a job. I did that for many years. But there is a thing with it that you cannot expect a man to pastor full time if he is working full time because that man also has to take care of his family. You can't neglect your family. And so a church would be unreasonable to say, listen, you can't work or you have to work a job. You know, one thing is going to give somewhere or another. So the goal was is to take the pastor from being part-time to full-time so he could have the freedom to pastor the church, to invest in the people and not neglect the other things of his family. Does that make sense? So Paul is saying, this is the power that a pastor has. He has every expectation that the church should try to take care of the pastor financially. So he has the freedom to do what God has given him to do. The pastor has every responsibility, right? Expectation that the church is not going to tell him what to do. So if he says, I'm going to let my wife be the secretary. Amen. Let him be the secretary. If I allow my wife to go work an outside job, the church shouldn't have a big deal with it. That's part of the pastor being able to direct traffic. The idea of the church dictating whether he has to work or not. If he believes that he could survive with what pay he's got, then praise or let him. If he says, I don't think I could survive off this pay, then he should have the freedom to find other employment to help supplement and tell the churches enough. Does that make sense? But the church of Corinth wants to try to stifle him, wants to try to give him a hard time. So with this, we move to a third thing here, the church's expectation towards the pastor's pay. How does a church, what is expected, what is the church supposed to do concerning this idea of taking care of the pastor? Notice if you don't mind, as the apostle Paul goes on in verse number eight, say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same thing also. So verse number eight is pretty powerful. He says, listen, am I saying this just because I want your money? No, I'm not doing this because you want money. I'm saying this because this is a Bible principle. He says to prove it, open your Bibles up. And he begins to tell him some things from the Bible. Verse number nine, for it is written in the law of Moses, thou shall not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for the oxen? So inside of the Mosaic law, they actually had a law that says that when you are using an ox to help harvest the corn, you don't muzzle the ox's mouth so he can't eat the corn. You allow the ox to eat the corn as he works. That's just reasonable. Now notice he gives a logic idea from here in verse number 10. Sorry, (laughs) verse number 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. So in verse number 10, uh, nine at the end, he says, doth God take care for the oxen? When God, he's saying that, he says, did he write that law for the oxen's sake? Did he do it? Say, because I care for the oxen so much that you make sure you take care of the oxen. Who is that commandment to? Is the commandment to the oxen? No. It's to the people who's working with the oxen. Does that make sense? So he's not doing it for the oxen's sake. He's doing it for the people's sake. Verse number 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, 
It is written that he ploweth should plow in hope. And he that thresheth in hope should be a partaker of this hope. He says, the reason why I gave you this is not for the oxen's sake. I'm doing it for your sake. As we're applying it to the church, why should the church take care of the pastor? Not for the pastor's sake, but for your sake. For your sake. Why should a church take the responsibility of making sure the pastor is taken care of? Because the pastor is trying to work for you. The pastor is trying to help you. Here he gives the principle a little bit more. Or saith it altogether for his sake. For our sakes, no doubt, it is written that he that ploweth should plow in hope. And he that thresheth in hope should be a partaker of his hope. The idea here is that if you try to take care of your pastor, your pastor will be better off to take care of you. You don't want to discourage pastor who's trying to worry about finances. That'd be horrible. Or a pastor that says, oh man, this church won't let me do anything. I feel like I get a job and they won't. You know, you don't want the pastor frustrated and feeling like he can't serve God. Because that's not good for you. It's not profitable for you. It's for your sake you take care of the pastor. It's for your benefit that the pastor is taken care of, not for the pastor. Now we're saying that because when I preach a message like this, some people will only hear that the pastor is begging for money. I'm not holding out a can and saying, please give me money. I'm not a televangelist trying to rake in what I can. I'm not in it for the money's sake. And any of our church folks know I'm not in it for the money's sake. But it's for your sake that if the pastor's taken care of, you know what the number one worry for a pastor is, is finances. Well, if the pastor doesn't have to worry about finances, he has more clear brain power to take care of other things. Amen. Right? If you have financial problems, isn't that a big thing on your mind? Yes. All the time. Yes. Well, if that worry is no longer there, then he has the freedom to serve you better. Verse number 11. For if we have sown unto you spiritual things, so Paul speaking as an apostle, as a pastor, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing that we should reap of your carnal things? Now remember that the pastor has intangible benefits, meaning that when I preach at you, it may feel like I'm slapping you, but I'm not really giving you anything tangible, right? I, I, but hopefully you're being helped by the messages. When you come in for counseling, I'm giving you intangible things, but hopefully the counseling is a help to you and encouragement. When you're having a bad day and you call and say, I just need to call and rant and yell at someone and I listen, that's an intangible benefit. You don't get anything, walk away with something carrying away from that. But as I'm giving intangible, as I'm praying for you, you don't get anything tangible from my prayers, but I should be praying for you. But as I'm doing these spiritual works that... Is it a big deal to say that you give me of worldly things, meaning like money? <laughs> That's saying, all right, I know I'm giving you intangible things, but hopefully it's real enough to say it's not a big deal to take care of the pastor monetarily. He said, if we sow unto you spiritual things, in it, meaning that it's an investment, I'm pouring into you, I'm putting into, I'm putting a lot of work into you. Is it a great thing that we should reap of your carnal things? I mean, is that a bad exchange? The pastor is working for you and then gets a monetary benefit because of his work for you? It shouldn't be. Verse number 12. If others are partakers of this power over you, are we rather? 
Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things that we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul had this power, but he chose not to demand it, that he would not hinder the gospel. Now, later on in 2 Corinthians, Uh, Chronicles, he is going to say later on that one of the big mistakes that I made from you is that I did not ask for pay for you. The apostle Paul had determined when he went to Corinth that he says, I'm not going to take anything from this church. And part of it is because it was a wealthy church and he didn't want someone to say, well, I'm the reason why the apostle Paul is out there. and I'm the one who, who pays his way. And he didn't want any of that. So he chose not to get a paycheck from the from the church of Corinth. He writes later on and says, you know what? That was my mistake, my bad. Right here, he's saying, I chose not to. I could have asked for it, but I didn't. Now, why why is it a big deal? Well, we understand that when people invest, they want their investment to succeed. That if people are giving to the church, they don't want the church to fail. If they're giving to the pastor and expecting the pastor to be taken care of, they don't want the pastor to fail. Some people get sideways from time to time and they say, listen, I don't like what the pastor says, so I'm not going to give my tithe. I'm going to starve out the preacher. Well, you know, if I'm sent of God, God will take care of his man. It's going to be you that's hurt by it. You're going to miss God's blessings. God will take care of his man if he's doing what's right. And the apostle Paul says, listen, I chose not to ask of this. Now that was a pretty big ask that Paul, as he's working for a year and a half, says, I'm not taking a single dime from you. By the way, they didn't offer it either. He says, I'm willing to be here as a missionary. Other churches are supporting me so I can be a blessing to you. He says, I didn't ask of this power. I didn't demand. I didn't ask for a paycheck. I just let God take care of it. And again, later on, 2 Corinthians, he's going to say, I made a mistake. I should have done that. But he says, I didn't do that. I didn't want to be chargeable. I didn't want someone to throw a fit and say, all he's in it's for the money. The only reason why he's here is for the money. He says, I didn't want any of that, so I chose not to. Is there people that will do that from time to time? He's only in it for the money. And again, anybody who knows me, no, I'm not in it for the money. Smile, nod, it's all right. Apostle Paul says, I don't want anyone confused. Now, again, he's dealing with a carnal church. Would some people definitely be doing that? Absolutely. He says, but I chose not to because I didn't want you to feel obligated. He says, I wanted to do what God wanted to have the freedom to do this. Notice in verse 13. Do ye not know that they which minister about the holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. We're going to get back to that in just a second. Verse 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach of the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be done unto me. For it would be better for me to die than any man should make my glory void. He says, listen, I don't want anyone to hold over uh, finances as a stick. By the way, may I remind you, when dealing with preacher's pay, it's going to be semantical, but you don't pay a preacher to preach. You can't pay a preacher enough to preach. Why? Because the preacher doesn't um, change his message depending on who owes the purse strings. 
So what does a church do? The church pays the preacher so he has freedom to follow God's will. Amen. So there's a little semantic, but you don't pay a preacher to preach because people will think they have the idea that they could tell the preacher what to preach. A church takes care of the church preacher's finances so he has the liberty to follow God's will. Amen. And that's what you want the most. And so with it, let's get practical. How do we get to the preacher's pay? How does this come about? How do we take care of it? Well, notice again with me in verse 13. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers of the altar? So he's going back and giving an Old Testament reference. And the Old Testament reference, what happened is that the people of the Hebrew of the Hebrews were asked to give a tithe. What's a tithe? It's 10%. So 10% of the income they were supposed to give to the temple. And from that 10% and from the sacrifices that were offered, that's how the priest would get paid. It's how the Levites would survive and get, God had made it. So it was the voluntary giving of his people that took care of his house. Well, even though that's an Old Testament principle, God says, I want that same principle to be applied to the New Testament. Notice in verse 14, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach of the gospel should live of the gospel. So how does a preacher get paid? Well, a preacher doesn't get paid by the government. So the government doesn't pay me. The preacher doesn't get paid by a different church. So a different church doesn't pay me. How does a preacher get paid? Well, by the voluntary giving of God's church people. Now, the basic level of giving is a tithe, 10%. And so as a person gives of their tithe, you could live better with a 90% than what you could with a 10% or with a 100%. God could bless that. From that 10%, it goes to the church. And what happens is that from that 10% that people give, we pay the bills, we pay the mortgage, we pay the lights, we pay the internet, we uh, get tracks, we, we do other things with it. Also with that, you also take from that to give to the preacher. Now, let's just do some math. I know that you didn't come Sunday morning to do math, but let's math. 10% is what fraction class? One tenth. So how many tenths does it take to make one whole? Ten. Ten. So it takes ten tithing families to pay the salary of one preacher. Well, remember that we also have got bills to pay, mortgage, lights, other things. So it takes more than 10 families to pay the bills and to give the pastor a full salary. What if we have less than 10 families or less than 10 tithing families after bills are paid? What that means is that the pastor does not get a full salary. That means he's not getting enough to survive. He's having to depend upon the Lord. Well, we could look around the room and do mental math. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying as a practicality, what does it take to give a pastor a salary to equivalent? Remember, if you took your paycheck and cut it in tenths, don't you need the tenths? Yeah. What if you only had five of those tenths? Would that kind of be tight? Well, we understand we've got to pay bills and whatever's left over, if we just have five tenths giving, well, he's only getting half a salary. Does that make sense? 
I'm not complaining. We're trying to be practical now. Now, the Bible gives a principle in 1 uh, Timothy in chapter number 5. We're not going to turn there. But it says that the preacher who's preaching the gospel and is doing a good job, he's worthy of double honor. What does that mean? That he's worthy of double pay. That's the practical. So again, if we're going to get double pay, how many tithing families does it take to support one pastor biblically? 20. All right. Now you say, well, how do we take care of this problem? Well, we know that there's a Band-Aid solution, which some people do, and I'm very thankful for it, that some people say, well, I'll give above and beyond the tithe and I'll mark something special for the pastor that goes above and beyond his salary. Praise the Lord. And God blesses that. And we're thankful for it. There's some people who do that. But again, that's a Band-Aid. What do we do to fix that? Well, we obey the Bible. What does the Bible say? Soul winning and discipleship. Accomplishing the Great Commission. That as we go out and tell more people about the Lord and bring them in and we disciple them, now we get our people that help fill in the rest of the gaps. Does that make sense? So how do we take care of the preacher's pay? The preacher's not asking you to squeeze money out of a turnip. That's not the idea. Nor are we kind of hoping in the clouds. God has given us something practical to do. That our responsibility in order to take care of the shepherd that God has placed with us is that we're to obey his commands in not only tithing, but also the principle of soul winning and discipleship with the expectation that God would provide laborers into his harvest field. That way the pressure's not on you. So you feel bad and feel like I have to give up all my money to take care of. That's not what we're trying to do. Little as much when God is in it, God takes care of us. But if we want to be biblical, then we have to do it biblical ways. We go to the Lord of the harvest, ask for laborers into his harvest field. We go out and tell people about the Lord, win them to the Lord and disciple them and teach them how to be obedient and fill in the gaps and let God take care of his man and take care of his church. Does that make sense? Now, I know that there are many churches where many pastors who would never preach a message like this. Why? Because they would feel like they're begging for money. Me, it's simple because this is next up. And this is what the Bible says, so we're going to teach it. Everyone knows that I'm not trying to beg for money. I hope that we have that understanding in here. But it's clearly what the passage said, and we want to be obedient to it. So what do we do with such a message? Here we know that the clear idea is that we have a responsibility to take care of the pastor that God has placed here. Hopefully you recognize that God has placed me here, that there's no doubt about that. We have a responsibility as a church to take care of the pastor. So how do we do that? Well, hopefully, first of all, you start it by tithing. That you're taking care of that basic idea and saying God can use my tithe to take care of his finances. Beyond that, how do we do it? Well, we are all engaged in soul winning and discipleship. That if you're not in the habit of passing out tracts and inviting people to church, maybe you need to start. And if you're not involved with discipleship, You need to be involved in discipleship. Remember, God has chosen to feed the world through the miracle of multiplication. Do you know that one little seed, we can feed the whole world eventually? Because it multiplies into the ground. That if I put a seed in the ground, let's take a kernel of corn and I put it in the ground, I just don't get one kernel back. I get a whole stock with a couple of ears of corn. I have multiplied the efforts. God has done it through the miracle multiplication that if we have many of us working in the church, the church will grow. 
Let me give an example. We're working on numbers, and I know some of you didn't come Sunday morning to do math, but, you know, it's math anyways. Let's just do, if we start it with one person who discipled another, and after one year, those two take another two. All right? Year three, let's keep track of the three. Year three, you have those four discipling another four. Year four, you have those eight discipling another eight. After that, year five, you have those 16 discipling another 16. Year six, you have those 32 discipling another 32. Year seven, you have 64 discipling 64. Now, if we had 64 people in here who were faithful to the Lord and able to disciple, would we have a strong church? And would we really worried about finances? No. You understand it's through the miracle of multiplication. Now, I know that's numerical. We know practically it's all dependent on how well people obey to move forward discipleship. But we see a principle here that everyone has a part to play. And it's not just one person trying to do everything. But the pastor is directing traffic that we all have our spot. And if we're all being obedient, it's amazing what God can get done. So the things here, what do we do about this to be, to have the church operate Well, first of all, if you're not tithing, you need to make a decision to tithe. And if you have questions, I'll be glad to answer them from the Bible and show you what you can do. And God blesses the tithe. And we have people in here who could stand up and say, listen, I've taken care of the pastor. I've tithed and look at what God's done. And it's amazing to watch what God will do. On top of that, where are you at in discipleship? Are you either in discipleship, being discipled, or are you ready to disciple someone? If not, you need to find out how you could get plugged in because you are the solution of helping this church move forward. Everyone has a part to play. And we don't want just to take care of the pastor's finances, but there are so much more that we want to get done. Amen. And we could watch God do it if we're just obedient without squeezing blood from a turnip. But if we're just doing what God has asked us to do in the very basics, little as much when God is in it. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.